start of our service today. We are covering the sixth commandment uh, found from Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, which is where God says, you shall not commit adultery. And uh, as we've been talking throughout all of these commandments, a theme that we keep coming back to that I think we just really need to understand when we're talking about the commandments is why God gave them. And as uh, you can see up on the screen, that theme that we keep coming back to is that God did not give us the Ten Commandments in order to earn His love, but because He loves us. God did not give the Ten Commandments to be a pathway in order to get into a right relationship with Him. They don't serve as a benchmark for us to live up to. And the more that we live up to those Ten Commandments, the more that God will love us. That's not why God gave the Ten Commandments. God gave the Ten Commandments to people he already loved, people he was already in a relationship with, people he had already rescued. And he gave them these commandments as a way to protect and to preserve that relationship that they had with him. Now, that protecting and that preserving works out in a couple of ways. One, God gives those Ten Commandments as a way to remind His people that they can't save themselves. That, in turn, that they need God to save and to rescue them. And that's exactly what our God is in the business of doing. Saving and rescuing. He's been doing it since the beginning. And so God gives them those commandments as a way to preserve that relationship by reminding them that they need a Savior, that we need a Savior. God also then gives those commandments to his people, to us, all ten of them, including the sixth commandment, gives them to us because he knows that they're best for our lives. And I hope and I pray that by the end of today that all of us will recognize that God gave us the sixth commandment because he loves us and because he wants what's best for us. Now, sixth commandment. I would guess, it's my opinion, you can disagree with me on this if you'd like, but it is my opinion that there is probably more pushback from the world and society and from Christians as well against the sixth commandment than against any other commandment that God gave. I would venture to guess that more people have an issue with what God is stating and what God's will is for our lives in the sixth commandment then the fifth, the seventh, the first, any of the other ones that we have more issues with this one, even within the church. And so again, today, I just hope that we can come at this with an understanding that God knows what is best for our lives, that God wants what's best for our lives, and that through even the sixth commandment, God is seeking to protect and preserve our relationship with him. Okay? So, we're going to be talking about purity today. We're going to be talking about God's gift of sex today. As I mentioned, this is going to be a little bit more of a PG type of sermon. Um, so, we'll get into it. And to do that, I wanted to ask you guys to speak out loud for a second. I know we're not always, we don't do that all the time, but I want you to do that today. I am going to say a word. And when I say that word, I want you to say out loud the very first thing that pops into your mind. Okay, so I want you to take off your Sunday school hats, okay, and I want you to say the first thing that pops into your mind. One stipulation, as long as you can say it at church, I want you to say it out loud, okay? So there's that one stipulation. I'm going to say a word. You say out loud the very first thing that pops into your mind, and the word is pure. All right. 
I heard a number of you talking. I heard a number of repeats. One of the first words that I heard was water, right? When we think about water, the cleaner it is or the, the purer it is, right, the more attractive it is to us. It's something like we like clean water. We like purified, pure water, okay? Um, another word that I heard was clean, right? Um, if, if somebody's, you know, house or bathroom or kitchen, if it's not clean, We don't feel comfortable there. We want clean houses. We want clean bathrooms and clean kitchens. There's something about something being clean that we like that. It's good that something is clean. Um, You put those two things together, water and cleanness, and you think about white snow, right? We don't like the yellow snow. We don't like the brown snow, but the white snow, it's clean and it's pure. We're okay with that. Uh, You think about Disney's purest character and you come up with, Snow White, right? See how this works? We like things that are pure. We like things that are white. Um, Gold, right? The purer that gold is, the more attractive it is to us. Diamonds, the, the more clear they are or the more pure that they are, the more attractive that they are to us. So, a couple of things about this. Pure concept. One is, we all like pure things. We actually, we prize and we value and we treasure things the more pure that they are. So there's nothing wrong with this idea of purity. There's nothing to like look down upon when something is pure, okay? Another thing about this pure concept is when I said the word pure and asked you to say something back, none of you said me or your name when you heard the word pure. Now, I wouldn't say my name either when I heard the word pure. And I think that says something about all of us. I think all of us understand that we don't have to look too far back in our own history, in our own lives, to realize that we are not pure. That we have not lived up to God's expectations. That we have done things that we shouldn't have done. And I don't think any of us have to look too far back into our own history, into our own lives, to realize that even when it comes to sexuality, that we have not been pure. And so today, we want to talk about what is God's intent for our lives in the realm of relationships and in the realm of sex. And God's plan and God's intent for our lives is that we would be pure. Now, I'm going to also do something today that we don't typically do here at church, not something that I would normally ask you to do. But I would like you to imagine that there is no God. Okay? I know this is a Christian church, normally wouldn't ask you to do that. But I want you to pretend this morning that there is no God, there is no Bible, God has, you know, God has not told us anything, so there's just, just take that completely out of, not just your life, but out of the world. Okay? Let's just pretend there's a world without a God and without a Bible. Okay? Second thing I want you to pretend, and I know this is a stretch, but I want you to imagine that every single person in the entire world For several generations now, let's say for seven generations now, every single person in the entire world for seven generations back has bought into this ridiculous idea that sex is for married people, right? And everybody just lived that way. That was just common sense. It's like you don't murder. Everybody just gets that. It's like you don't put your hand on a hot stove. Everybody just understands that. You don't have to tell somebody twice not to do that. You just get it. So let's just imagine that everyone in the entire world for several generations has understood this concept 
this ridiculous idea that sex is for married people. What would our world look like if people live that way? Can you think of any ways that our world would be different? Let me give you a couple of examples that I thought of on how our world would be different if everyone bought into that ridiculous idea that sex is for married people. One way that our world would be different is that there would be no adultery. Adultery is when a married husband or wife cheats on that spouse and has sex with and a relationship with someone other than their spouse. There would be none of that because sex is for married people. Now, how would that change our world? Can you imagine how the lives of the children of those families would be different if they didn't all of a sudden wake up one day and all of a sudden mom or dad is gone because they ran off with someone else? Can you imagine how their lives would be different when, when they didn't understand why dad or why mom would just up and leave and abandon them for the rest of their lives or, or destroy the home life that they had through that adultery and that cheating? Can you imagine their lives would be different? How about for that spouse? I mean, think about that. That they would never, you know, that there would be no kids who ever are tucked into bed at night with just a mom or just a dad. They'd both be there. Adultery would never tear that apart. Our world would be different, wouldn't it? Let me give you another example. Um, there would never be any forced sex in our world. There would not be any women who live in fear of what a man has done to them. There would be no women who have a hard time connecting with a man because of what some man did to them in their past. That would be completely erased from the world that we live in. How about uh, this epidemic that we call AIDS? There would be no such epidemic as HIV-AIDS. Literally, the millions of people every year who suffer from the consequences of AIDS would be gone. Literally, the millions of people who every year die as a result of HIV-AIDS, they'd be wiped out. Literally, the tens of billions of dollars that we spend on fighting HIV-AIDS, there would be no need for that. Because AIDS and HIV is primarily transferred through sex. And it's primarily, that transfer of AIDS through sex is primarily, in fact, 95% of it happens with sex outside of marriage. And so this epidemic that we know of AIDS would be gone. There would be no unwed mothers and no children growing up without fathers. Can you imagine how different our inner cities would look if people bought into this ridiculous idea that sex is for married people? No children abused in this area. No Jerry Sandesky trials ever. Gone. Completely wiped out. Now, is it just me? Or does it not seem like common sense? When you take out even God out of the picture, does it not seem that, like common sense that sex should be for married people and that if everyone believed and bought into this ridiculous idea that sex is for married people, that our world would be extraordinarily better than it is right now if everyone just bought into this ridiculous idea that sex is for married people. Now, I realize that that flies so far in the face of culture it flies so far in the face of you know, what's going on in our world, and I realize that that probably strikes many of us 
as a ridiculous idea that sex should just be for married people. Not for ready people, not for mature people, not for in love people, but for married people. And yet, as we're going to see today, that that is God's intent for our lives. And that purity is not something that we need to shy away from. That purity, even in the realm of sexuality, is not something that we need to look down upon. But just like every other area in life, where we look upon things that are pure, and we prize and we treasure those things, that even in our lives, and even in the realm of our sexuality, that purity is something that is to be prized and to be treasured in our lives as well. And we're going to do that today as we turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, before we do that, let me just have you pretend one more thing. I want you to pretend that you're God. Okay? Some of you, that comes pretty easily. I'm just kidding. It's getting kind of, you know, quiet in here, so I've got to lighten it up. All right? So I just want you to pretend that you're God. I want you to pretend that you know the tremendous blessing and gift that sex is. And you're God, so you also know the potential on how it can damage and destroy and literally kill millions of people if it is misused. Now, if you're God and you understand the gift and the blessing, you understand the danger that is associated with it, and you love everyone, what would you say about sex? Would you say, well, have at it, one and all? Find somebody cute and hook up for the night? If that doesn't work out, find somebody else cute and try again. Oh yeah, and remember, be careful. Is that what you'd say? If you knew that the potential, if it was abused, would end up resulting in the deaths of millions of people? I don't think so. I think you'd probably say something just as ridiculous as God does, that sex is for married people. And God is going to talk about his will for our lives, even in the area of sexuality, this morning, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to a world about 2,000 years ago, a city and Christians living in a city called Thessalonica. And before you, like, jump onto the bandwagon, well, this is 2,000 years ago, and the world was so different, and people lived pure lives back then, and this wasn't a challenge for them. Just wanted to let you know. That premarital sex, sex outside of marriage, uh, sex in other ways was rampant in the world that Paul was writing to. It was just as normal and just an everyday part of life as it is for us as well. And so while you might look at me this morning like I've got gray hair and a cane, while you might look at Paul like he's some, you know, fuddy-duddy and old fogey and got it all messed up, he's writing to the exact same world, the type of world that we live into today. And his words of encouragement and instruction for those Christians mean just as much for us today and impact us just as much today as they did back then. So Paul's writing, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and he says, verse 3, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality starts off and he says, it's God's will, okay? God's will is God's plan. God's will is, hey, this is God, what God wants for our lives. What does God want for our lives when, it, when we're talking about our sexuality? God's plan for our lives is that it's one man, one woman, married in this union together. And that in that context, that sex is to be enjoyed and to be a blessing. 
So that's God's will for our lives. Now, there's a couple things about that. The fact that it's God's will. First of all, I think there's two good things about this, that it's God's will. First of all, is you don't have to pray about this one. This is just God's will. You don't have to wake up at night, or you don't have to wake up in the morning and wonder, well, should I or shouldn't I with him or with her? This isn't something that you need to wonder, man, is this the best route or is this the best route? No, this is God's will. That sex is for married people. So we don't have to pray about it. We don't have to wonder about it. We don't have to be wrestling with what does God want for this area of my life. He's very clear about what he wants. Second thing that God, that we can be thankful about the fact that this is God's will is that we know what lies behind God's will. We know that behind God's will lies God's wisdom and God's love. And what that means is that we know that behind God's will, that sex is for married people, is God's wisdom, which means that God knows what's best for us. That God is the one who designed relationships, God's the one who designed sex, that if God's the one who designed all of this, God's the one who knows how it works best. And so God's wisdom is behind God's instruction and God's will in this commandment. We also know that God's love is behind it. We know that God loves us. We know that God loves you. And God wants what is best for you. God always is seeking your best interest. Even in the commandments, even in the sixth commandment, God wants what's best for you. So, Paul says it's God's will. We don't have to pray about it. We can trust that God knows what's best and wants what's best for our lives as he goes on and he says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now there's a big church word that you don't use every day. Sanctified is another way to say that you should be holy. That doesn't help a whole lot, does it? Holy is this idea that you should be set apart, that you should be different from the world around you. And God says that his intent for our lives is that we should be altogether different from the world around us. Now, if we're going to be different from the world around us, that means we need to understand what the world says about sex. And we need to understand what God says about sex. And we're going to realize that both society and God set boundaries around sex. So sometimes we hear like, well, God shouldn't say anything about sex. God shouldn't set any boundaries about sex. God you know, shouldn't have anything to do at all with the topic because how could God put boundaries on that? Well, the truth is, is that we're very familiar with boundaries around sex. We live in a world that sets boundaries around sex. That's why there was a trial for Jerry Sandusky. That's why he's in prison right now because he broke the law. Now, I realize that society's boundaries around sex are not the same as God's boundaries around sex. That it's not against the law in our country for two consenting adults to have sex. It's not against the law. That doesn't mean that it's good. It's not against the law to put your hand on a campfire. But I wouldn't recommend doing it. It's not against the law to eat every single meal for your entire life at McDonald's. But I wouldn't recommend doing that either. It's not good for you. So just because something, just because the government says that it's okay doesn't mean that Jesus says it's okay. Just because society says that this isn't a big deal doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't say that it's a big deal. He does. And that should matter to us. 
It should matter to us that God has a will for our lives even in the area of sex. Why? Because we're his children. Because he is our father. And because he loves us. You know, we weren't born as God's children. We didn't make ourselves God's children either. Jesus did. It's, it's through Jesus and it's through his life here on this earth, his sinless life, even though he was tempted in every way, just like we are, he was holy and he was perfect. And it was through Jesus and through his death on a cross, taking upon himself the sins of the entire world, taking upon himself all of your sins, all of your sins of the past, all of your sexual sins, taking them upon himself. Why? To redeem you. What does it mean to redeem? It means to buy someone back from a former way of life. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus bought us back from the penalty of sin. No longer can sin condemn us. Jesus bought us back from the, the power of sin in our lives. No longer can sin accuse you in your life. And Jesus bought us back from the presence of sin in our lives. That means that we no longer have to live the way that we used to live. It means that Jesus now lives inside of us. It means that we are empowered to be able to say no to the things that God wants us to say no to. That we are empowered to say yes to the things that God wants us to say yes to. And so God has called us to this life that is entirely different from the world that is around us. That is sanctified. And God says that we are to then live out our lives. He wants us to live out that way. He wants us to honor him with our bodies. He wants us to worship him with our lives. He wants us to enjoy life the way that he intended. And so he says that it's my will that you should be sanctified. Now, he's going to go on and define that in three different ways. He goes on, first of all, to define it as he continues in verse 4. And he says... That each of you should learn to, or I'm sorry, that you should avoid sexual immorality is the first one. Sexual immorality, God says we are to avoid. Now, I think this is a really important place to stop and talk about what God is saying and what God is not saying. God says avoid, stay away from sexual immorality. God does not say stay away from sex. Think about this. We have a God that is for sex. All right? That's a good thing. We can be happy about that. I mean, think about it. God's the one who created it. You go back to the Garden of Eden, and there you have God. And I don't know how this all worked out, but I can only imagine that there's God, and there's the angels, and God's creating, and the angels are like, man, the earth and the planets, that's amazing, God. And then there's the plants and the animals, and they're like, God, that's just breathtaking. It's amazing. And God's like, oh, man, I got something else to do. I've got a good idea. And the angels are like, oh, what is that? You know, that hippo that you made, that was incredible. And God's like, no, no, it's better than the hippo. And the angels are like, oh, that flamingo you made, man, that flamingo was incredible. God's like, oh, no, it's better than the flamingo. Angels, I think you need to sit down because I don't know how to tell you this. You don't get any of this. When you see what I'm about to do, you're going to wish that you were human. I mean, think about it. 
God created sex. He didn't have to. That right there should be enough reason to love God. And so God's intent is not that we avoid sex, not that we stay away from it. It's that it's used in the proper sense. A husband and a wife, that's God's intent. So he says, I want you to avoid sexual immorality. Immorality is doing, taking some, something that God has given us and using it in a way that God has not intended. And God says that we are to avoid it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we are to flee from those situations in our lives. And so whatever that situation is, whatever that, that, that place is, that time is, that person that we're around, wherever that is that we are sexually tempted, God says that we are to flee. Literally, to get on those track shoes and to run away. All right? If you're single, that probably means that when you wake up in the morning, you should put your track shoes on. Because we live in a world that is surrounded by sexual temptation. It means that if you're single, when you go to bed at night, you should probably leave your track shoes on. Because we live in a world that is surrounded by sexual immorality. And so Paul says, I want you to live sanctified lives, lives that are different, lives that are according to God's will. The first way you can do that is by fleeing, running away from the temptations that are in your lives. Then he goes on, verse 4, and he says that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lusts like the heathen who do, who do not know God. Now, I'm going to tell you that I think that that's a poor translation in verse 4. I think a better translation of verse 4 is that each one of you should learn how to acquire a spouse in a way that is holy and honorable. What God is saying is that if you don't want to wear track shoes your entire life, if you don't want to be fleeing from sexual temptation your entire life, well, then you should find a spouse. You should learn what it means to acquire a spouse in a holy and an honorable way. God's plan and his design is a holy and an honorable thing, and that is marriage. And God says that we should, if we don't want to run our entire lives, that we should seek to acquire a spouse. Now, think about that word acquire. I love that Paul uses that word. What, are, what do you acquire? You acquire things that you want. You acquire, you acquire things that take time to plan and to strategize and to think through how it is that you're going to meet this objective that you really want. Paul says, that's like finding a spouse. That if you don't want to wear track shoes your entire life, that you, you should prepare for marriage. That you should learn what it is to love someone the way that God loves you. That you should learn what it means to cherish someone the way that God cherishes you. And Paul says that we should prepare ourselves for that. That we should look forward to that. That if we already have that, that we should do everything that we can to preserve that relationship that God has blessed us with. Why? Because it's in the context of that marriage that God says that sex is a holy and an honorable thing for our lives. So God's got a plan. So that was the second way Paul says we can live sanctified lives. Third way, he goes on and he says uh, that in this matter, verse 6, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. What Paul is saying is that when we're talking about sex, marriage, relationships, that if somebody's married, you're single, somebody's married, you're interested in them, they're hands off. They're outside the limits if they're married. It means that if you're single and you're attracted to somebody who's in a dating relationship, that they're off limits. They're off boundary. Don't take advantage of someone else. Don't try and like, go to somebody's girlfriend and try to show her a nicer time or take her to a more expensive supper, dinner, to win her over. Don't take advantage of those relationships that are already in place. 
So God's plan is that we live holy lives in the area of sex by avoiding sexual temptations, by you know, fleeing from them, by acquiring a spouse, because it's in that relationship that God intends to bless us through the gift of sex, and that God also says that we are to stay away from somebody who's already in a relationship, dating or married. And then he goes on, and he, he's going to give us a warning. He's going to remind us that God takes this seriously. He says, The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. God takes sin seriously. I don't know how else to say that. He takes all sins seriously. He takes sexual sins seriously as well. God does not look lightly upon sin in our lives. In fact, you know that. You know that because God so much does not look lightly upon sin that he would send his only son Jesus to be sacrificed for sin. That's how seriously God takes sin. That he would send his son to die for our sins. Okay, so God gives us this warning. For God did not call us, verse 7, to be impure, but to live a holy life. He says it again, and then he goes on, he says, Therefore, we, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man. You can't look at me like I'm an old fogey. But God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. And what Paul is saying is that this is God's plan. This isn't something he made up. This isn't something, like, if you don't like this, don't get mad at Paul. If you don't like this, don't get mad at me. This is God's plan. This is God's intent. Why? Because God knows that sexual immorality affects not only our human relationships, but it affects our relationship with him as well. Every sin, all sin, affects our relationship with God. And sin that is unchecked, sin that is allowed to just continue and to grow and to be a part of our lives, will eventually destroy that relationship with God. And so Paul says, I want you to take it seriously. Now I want to go back to something that I said before. Behind God's will is God's wisdom and God's love. Behind the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery, is God's wisdom and God's love. God knows what's best for our lives, and he wants what's best for us. And so he gives us the sixth commandment. Throughout all areas of life, throughout everything that God reveals to us, we see his wisdom and we see his love. That is most clearly seen in Jesus. And we rejoice about that. You see, because Christianity is for people who've blown it. Christianity is for people who don't get it right. Christianity is for people who cannot get themselves in right with God. And that includes all of us. All of us have fallen short of that glory that God demands. Whether it's in a sexual matter or in some other way, we've all fallen short. And so God clearly shows his greatest love to us and that he sends Jesus to be our Savior. It is Jesus' work to forgive us. Even past sins, even past sexual sins, it is Jesus' work to fully and finally and freely forgive us 100%. It's Jesus' work to redeem us 100%, to buy us back. It's Jesus' work to release us from the shame and the guilt that is a part of our lives. And we can be this morning 100% confident 
that he has accomplished everything that he set out to do. And we can also be 100% confident that he lives inside of us and that he will empower us to say no to the things that God says no to and to say yes to the things that God says yes to. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you because it is true, it is holy, it is perfect. It reveals to us your perfect will for our lives. Thank you for telling us the truth about ourselves, that we are imperfect, that we have sin. Lord, I thank you that you can be honest with us because Jesus has come and Jesus has taken away all of our sins. He has released us. He has freed us. He has made us new. And Lord, we celebrate that fact. We celebrate that we are your children, that our lives are different because of what you have done for us. And Lord, I ask that you would then empower us to live lives that are different, lives that would reflect your will for our lives, even in the area of sex. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.